Welcome to Seven Mile Ministry. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, church. There we go. I was sharing last Sunday that marriage is not difficult. Marriage is actually a gift from God. It's what we bring into marriage that makes it difficult. It's what we bring into life that makes it difficult. God never created life to be difficult. When we realize that it's Him fighting our battles, that I'm surrounded by Him, that we let go of these earthen things that we try to fight our battles with, and let the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who's never lost a battle, win it for you every single time. I was convicted this week as I was just pondering some things of God and our hunger and thirst will determine how much he does in our lives. God gave it to me this way, our hunger and thirst is the container by which he will fill. So if we want him to take his place, if we want to see him move mightily in our lives, it's getting hungry. Like Matthew chapter five says, becoming hungry and thirsty for righteousness because his promise is he will fill us. You guys ready for church today? You ready for the word? You ready to see God do something in your life? I am guys. Say hi to two or three people around you and let's get ready for what God's gonna do. Good morning. Y'all glad to be here? Good. A bunch of young people in the balcony up there. It's good. Oh, there's one old lady up there. It's my mom. I put the kids, the teenagers up there to keep her in line. So last week we were, we shared Matthew 25. And I mentioned that that's where Project 25 uh, came from. And some people, I was thinking that you may not know what Project 25 is. We haven't uh, taught on it or shared it in a while. But Project 25 is uh, something, like I said, that came from Matthew 25. And through Project 25, basically, it's uh, people said they want to give into Project 25. Um, we use that money and help people. So we have um, paid some power bills and some water bills and bought a lot of clothes and provided Christmas and uh, vehicles, house payments, help people in need, and our, our board here makes those decisions. And, and anyway, it's been good. And uh, I say that to say that we've helped a lot of people. Uh, you guys have helped a lot of people 
You, you don't even know what all you've done, but you've done quite a bit. Praise the Lord. And that's what we're supposed to do. That's what Matthew 25 tells us. When you're helping them, uh, when you're loving them, it's loving Him. And people say, well, I love the Lord with all my heart, but you wouldn't do anything in the world to help anybody. Well, you're lying. Because if you, if you love Him, you'll love them. Because when you love them, you're loving Him. Because that's what the Word plainly tells us. Amen. So I just wanted to uh, touch on that before we get move forward uh, into the Word this morning. But um, we're going to be in the Old Testament this morning. And um, we'll be in Judges most of the time. And give you a little, get you caught up here. So um, Moses has brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. And they're out there in the wilderness. And most people know the, the story, but uh, they're just wandering around out there in the wilderness. They, they didn't make it into the Canaan land uh, until after Moses passes. And now here's Joshua, young buck Joshua, Joshua and Caleb. And they go um, enter into the promised land. Now they're in Canaan land. And as time goes by, I believe Joshua reaches the age of about 110 years old, if I'm not mistaken, before he passes. And when he passes away, uh, you, you read there in Judges that, um, well, let me just pull it up. In the 17th chapter, the 6th verse, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And it says it again in the 18th chapter, and it says it again in the 21st chapter. As a matter of fact, it's the last verse of the book of Judges. It says it again, that there was no king, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There's no king. There's no laws. There's no absolutes, basically like post-modernism. So you've got a society, Israel. Now, what all God's done for them, brought them out of Egypt, all these miracles. Now here's Joshua, leads them in, and they've passed away. So now you've got uh, that generation passed away. So the new generation, there's no king. There's no laws. Uh, there's no God that we're serving. So basically, you just did what you wanted. You made up your own rules. You were your own God. Nobody was king over you. So... Um, you can imagine that the society they lived in was failing miserably. And it was. If you go read in Judges, it was failing miserably. It was a failed society. And um, just utter chaos, actually. So all the main highways, and highways here are very important. We call them the interstate. The interstate to get things from here to there, to get things off of a boat and deliver, to get things wherever. The interstate system is very important. It's very important in our, uh, in our society, in our culture, um, economically. I mean, the interstate's very important. Well, in that time, guess what? All the main highways were shut down. So if there was any traveling to be done, um, it was going to be on back roads, side roads, just a roundabout way. You know what we call an old country back road. Well, the Philistines, so... If you've heard the story of David and Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine. The Philistines were always opposing Israel. They were fighting back and forth. You go reading Judges, and, and Israel's fighting. They get ahead, and they get back, and they go ahead, just battling. Philistines are always there opposing uh, Israel, the Israelites. So now all the, the highways are shut down. There's no laws. 
There's no king. Everybody's their own God, making up their own rules. So you're talking about a, a society that's absolutely full of chaos. Well, the Philistines, well, they took advantage of the situation. You say, well, I've never read their story. I haven't read Judges. Let me tell you. Maybe you haven't read it. Maybe you're not familiar with it. But have you watched the news lately? A society that's full of chaos? Um, people seem to want to make their own rules as they go? Hello. Well, that's a, that's a society. That was, that's, like I said, getting you caught up there. This is what's going on. And um, there was a fellow. His name was Shamgar. In the Judges, the third chapter, the 31st verse. It says, After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of Philistines. 600 Philistines he killed with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. So this one man with an ox goad killed 600 Philistines and delivered Israel. Now, these highways we're talking about, they were shut down. Guess who... Uh, we're on those highways keeping people from traveling, the Philistines. So it's not like there were 600 all in a wad. They're all spread out all over the place, preventing travel, taking advantage, like I said, of the chaos that's in, in the land. But I want you to know that Shamgar here, he made a difference. Are these words not popping up there for y'all? They're not? Well, huh. Well, they're popping up for me. But Shamgar made a difference. This one man made a difference. You think about, who's, if we don't make a difference, who is going to make a difference? I mean, if we're going to wait on the governor, the mayor, the president, the, the government of this country to make a difference, are we going to wait on somebody else to make a difference? In other words, if, if there's a difference going to be made, it's going to be made through you and I, through the hands and feet of Jesus, willing vessels, Christians. We're going to make a difference. We're supposed to be what you call difference makers. We are supposed to make a difference. And I've preached this before, but on our tombstone, everybody, death rate's 100%. And it's going to say born and died, and in between the born and died, there's a dash, and that dash is what you're living in. And did you make a difference in the dash? What what'd you do in the dash? During the dash, we're supposed to be difference makers. Amen. So we need to start making a difference, standing up for what we believe in, standing up for what's right, standing up for the things of God, standing on the Word, not backing down. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you have to be puny and wimpy. And the whole uh, walking in love thing gets taken out of context so, so often. Walking in love doesn't mean I'm not going to stand on what I believe. No, we're, we have to be a difference maker. Amen. So I want you to see here, the reason I was talking about Shamgar, and uh, don't you see here, he, he's a judge. He becomes a judge, but before he's a judge, guess what he is? He's a farmer. And he has this tool, which is a not what we just read, that he killed six. Well, y'all didn't get to read it because it's not up there. I read it. And if you have your Bible, which that's always a good idea to bring your Bible to church, just saying. But anyway, uh, looky there. 600 men he killed with his ox goad. So his ox goad, what is an ox goad? An ox goad is a pole that's about eight foot long. And on one end of it, it's got a sharp point. 
And the other end of it's got like a spade type tool like you would use in your garden. And that's because it's a farmer. And so he uses the pointed end to prod the oxen. You know, they're, they're tilling, they're working the land, they're getting things prepared. They start getting tired just like many of you do. And sometimes you need somebody to prod you to get you moving. Well, that's what the ox goat was used for. He'd prod them to get them going. You know, that's not a bad idea to have one around the house. You could just prod the kids or get them on out of the bed, get them ready for school. But as he's prodding them, and now he's working, and there'll be roots or rocks or different things, he'd use the other end of the tool to work the roots and get the rocks. and get. See, you see what I'm saying? It's a, it a tool used for farming, and he had been using it, and he's pretty handy with it, obviously, because he used it to kill 600 people. But it was just an ox goad. Just an ox goad. Before he became a judge, he was just a farmer with an ox goad, walking behind some oxen, prodding along, working in the garden. So I was thinking about him being just a farmer before he was a judge. I was thinking about Moses was just out there with his father Jethro working and tending the sheep before he delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. And I'm reminded of a verse that's in Zechariah, the fourth chapter, it says, Despise not small beginnings. It says Zerubbabel was there with the plumb line. And I don't remember the rest of it, but he was saying, Despise not... Small beginnings. Don't despise the ground that you're walking on right now. Because we're waiting on God to elevate us and waiting on God to move us to another spot, waiting on God to fix my marriage, waiting on God to fix my finances, waiting on God to send me a better job, make me a manager. I've never even had a job, but I'm just holding out for that management position. You're not waiting on God. I want to tell you, you're not waiting on Him. You've never, He's waiting on you. He's waiting on us. He, you can't steer a parked car. You got to get that bad boy rolling. And you can't, God's wanting to direct our feet and guide us, direct our paths. Your feet's going to have to move. Your feet's going to have to move. Amen. So, what I'm telling you this morning about starting where you are and trusting Him where you are, I'll trust Him when I get there. You know, then I will. Well, then I'll start tithing. You know, when I get the new job, start making my money, then I'll. Then I'll start tithing. Or, you know, when I start making a little, my wife wants a baby, but, but, you know, really don't have enough money. But when we have enough money, then maybe we'll have a baby. If you, I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you right now, if you're going to wait till you have enough money, you're going to be waiting and waiting and waiting because it's never going to seem like you have enough money to have a baby. I know. I thought the first time, we don't have enough money to have a baby. And then the second time, I thought, we surely don't have enough money to have three at one time. But there was always enough, and God always provided, and He will provide because you've got to trust Him where you are. If, if, you're not, if you can't trust Him where you are, then you're never going to get to the place where you want to be. You've got to trust Him right where you are with what you have, with that go that He's given you. Amen? And one problem we have that men have, I guess women too, but I see it a lot in men, is procrastination. Procrastination. We got plans, we're going to. Yeah, on Monday. You know, it's like that diet. We get started on Monday. And then Monday doesn't come, and we'll start next Monday. You know, it's the holidays are coming. Might as well wait till the first of the year. First of the year comes, I mean, the gym's too crowded, really, right now. <laughs> I've got six months before I'm going to the beach. Plenty of time. Plenty of time. Procrastination. 
see, we're supposed to have vision. We're supposed to be vision casters and dream makers. But as far as a vision goes, what is a vision? You have to be able to see further than what you can see. What I mean is your natural eyes can only see so far, but a vision is seeing further, seeing past, seeing things that your natural eyes don't see. It's a thing called your spiritual eyes. And the good Lord, God Almighty, the Holy Spirit will allow you to see things on down the road. He'll be able to see the vision. I don't need the Lord to, to help me see this piece of paper right here in front of me. I know it's there. All of you can see it. You see me standing there. But... It's looking beyond that to see further than you really see is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about a vision. And I believe Shamgar had a vision and he wasn't afraid to use the tool that he had. Think about Adam. We talked last week, said God did not make it rain until there was a man to till the earth, to work the land. And God says, here's this land, Adam. I need you to cultivate it. I need you to develop it. Well, it wasn't until he started cultivating and developing it until it rained. There's no reason to rain. We want it to rain. We want God to rain it down. When he rains things down, things grow. Things multiply. Things are good. Rain's good. But he needs someone to work the ground, to till the ground before the rain comes. We want the rain first. In other words, you've got to start where you're at and, um, and, and not wait until you get there. We can be difference makers. And God's telling us this morning, get up because he loves you. Get up because he loves you. Do something. He can't steer a parked car. He needs you. He needs you to get moving. In Acts, the second chapter, it says, It shall come to pass in the last days, which are now. This is also in Joel, I think the second chapter, 28th verse. But it says, It shall come to pass in the last days, says God that it, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters, they shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men should dream dreams. We should be seeing visions and we should be dream, dreaming dreams. That hasn't changed. We should be seeing visions and dreaming dreams. God's called us to be vision casters and dream makers. Amen. Mark was talking about marriage. You know how I many men are waiting on her and she's waiting on him? As soon as she does what she's supposed to do, then I'll do what I'm supposed to do. And a lot of women are going, well, as soon as he starts treating me with a little respect and doing the things that he ought to do, then I'm going to do what I ought to do. Well, show me that verse because it's not there. So marriage is not 50-50. It's 100, and if the other end's 10%, it's still 100. It's 100. You're responsible for you. You're 100. I'm giving 100 even though he's giving 10. I'm going to give 100 even though she's giving 10. It's 100. It should be 100 to 100. If you put Christ in the middle of your relationship and you're both uh, running after him with all, all your might, let me tell you, you're going to have a good marriage. When you're both putting in 100 and Christ is in the center of your marriage, it's going to be good. It can't not be good. It will be good. I'm waiting on her. I'm waiting on her. You know that woman? She's not following you or not uh, jumping every time you snap your fingers. Well, 
It's hard for her to follow a parked car. It's hard to follow a parked car. When a man wants to be the leader, I'm the leader, the head of the household, woman. You're going to do what I say. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. You're not going to spend the money on that. We're going to do it this way. You want to leave, but you, you're mad and upset because she's not following you. Well, she can't follow you unless you move. That's why it's called a spiritual leader. You, you can't lead unless you move. Hey, come on, everybody, follow me. I'm going to get in the car, and I don't even crank it up, put it in park, or, I mean, put it in gear, mash the gas. We're not going to go anywhere. You can't follow me because I'm not moving. Men, you want your women to, to follow you? Well, you know what? You're going to have to move. You're supposed to move. You're supposed to be the spiritual leader. I'm, I've been jealous before of my wife because I was jealous of Jesus. I didn't even realize it, but looking back on it, I was jealous of Jesus. And she would go to church and leave me at home, or I'd be fishing or hunting or doing whatever Red wanted to do, and I was a little jealous because instead of her staying home with me or laying in the bed all morning with me, she would get up and go to church without me, regardless of what I, period. It don't matter if we stayed out 2 o'clock in the morning because the kids was crying sick, something was wrong, didn't matter that those three little infant babies and then a five-year-old, it didn't matter. She's going to church regardless, with or without me. And I'd be a little jealous because I thought, you know, she should stay here with me because I'm the man. I said we should sleep. <laughs> I mean, for crying out loud, we had to sleep in months. <laughs> and then they finally go to sleep about 8 or 9 o'clock. But now it's time to go to church. What do you do? i tell you what she did. She got them out, got them dressed, loaded them in the car, with or without me, came to church. And I was a little jealous. She'd come on and tell me what the preacher said. Or tell me, I was a little jealous. I didn't realize I was jealous of Jesus, but the whole time I was jealous of Jesus. The whole time she just needed somebody to lead. She needed a spiritual leader. But she didn't have one, so she had to fill in the gap for me. I mean, I hear men talking about their wives, or I hear all kinds of things. Women talking about their husbands, and Men talking about their wives, and I look on the outside looking in and think, oh, that's an easy fix. Oh, that's an easy fix. So easy. You're just missing one thing. <laughs> it's Jesus. <laughs> I didn't know it was that funny, but... When our kids are born... Or the, the Makita, our daughter was about five and the boys were born and they were just little things, two and a half pounds and my wife would get up in the morning, get Mackenzie ready off to school, go down there to the hospital, stay all day long, read healing scriptures to them, talk to them, read the Word of God to them, read books to them, everything was coming out of the Word, Word-based. And then um, that was in September and then finally they're all home in December. They all finally made it home by Christmas. Well, let me tell you, she was a spiritual leader. I certainly wasn't. I did go down there, but I was good for nothing because all I did was say, God, I mean, I'd cry. I'd shed some tears. And in my prayers like this, God, please, just take me. You can just have me. Just take me. Just let my boys live. Take me. I mean, I was willing to die so that they could live. How stupid. 
Somebody had already died so they could live and his name was Jesus. And God wasn't taking them, nor did he want me. Can you imagine if God listening to me thinking, okay, yeah. Well, since you're willing, I mean, that's a good trade. Because I really need you up here. I need another angel in the choir. I've heard, I mean, because I've heard you sing. <laughs> he doesn't need another angel in the choir. He needs hands and feet, boots on the ground right here now. But that was my prayer. That was my prayer. But thank the Lord that there was a, uh, my wife who decided she needed to step up and become the spiritual leader since her husband was a deadbeat. Now I came to church, but I was not a spiritual leader. Not even close. I mean, I wasn't even on the list. My name wasn't even brought up when they talked about it. That's why, those, that's why they're alive. Because of her, not because of me. Now, if something like that happened today, it would be a totally different situation. But at that time, anyway, my point, my point to all this is, man, you wanted to, you're supposed to be the leader. You are absolutely 100% supposed to be the spiritual leader of your home. You are supposed to be the leader. And you fussing while your wife's or, or mad or upset why she's going another direction, well, she can't follow a parked car. You're going to have to get moving. Amen. So Shamgar gets his ox code. Shamgar gets his ox code. Just one tool, that's all he had. One tool. But one tool is all he needed because that one tool under divine influence allowed him to move forward and kill 600 Philistines. One tool. That's all he had. We think, well, if I just had more money, if I just had a little more of this, if I just had a little more of that, you don't need a little more of this. You don't need a little more education. You don't need more money. You just need to take the one thing that God's given you and, and uh, surrender to Him and use it for His glory. Not despise where you're at. Be thankful that you've got what you've got. You think about problems. I've got about one problem right now in my life that I can think of. One significant problem. Some of you in here have a dozen problems. Some of you may have 20. He had 600 problems. 600. And that one tool, under divine influence, allowed him to take care of 600 problems. God doesn't need a bunch of stuff. He just had one tool. And God's not opposed to you having a bunch of stuff. As long as the stuff don't have you. In other words, he wants you to own stuff, but he just doesn't want the stuff to own you. See, if he owns you, and you own the stuff, then he owns the stuff. He wants to use what you've got, where you're at. Where, where, where you're at, what you've got right here, right now. And we allow human logic to, to interfere. You start allowing human logic and human reasoning to interfere, you'll never even see the art skill that God's given you the tool that He's given you, the talent that He's given you, the gift that He's given you, the opportunity that He's putting right in front of you, you'll never even see it. So that's why you've got to demonstrate faith that's opposite of human logic and human reasoning. You think about David going up in front of Goliath, demonstrating some faith that went against human reasoning and logic. A little boy going up against a huge giant, ten, he's got a 10 foot tall problem. And thousands of Philistines over there waiting to come down and charge them. 
and, and to kill them. King Saul won't go out there. He's, he's scared. They're scared. They're, all the men are scared. Saul's head and shoulders taller than everybody else, but he's scared. So little David goes out there because he knows who he is. He knows who he is. And David goes out there. It's just a rock. It's just a slingshot. That's all he had. He says, you come at me and all this armor and this sword and everything you've got, and you're 10 foot tall, and I come to you in the name of the Lord. That was the difference. You're an uncircumcised Philistine. I've got a covenant with God. I've got something that you don't have. And he takes just a slingshot and just a rock, and that rock was sanctified, let me tell you. And the Holy Spirit guided it right between the eyes of Goliath. That's the kind of faith that I'm talking about this morning. To use what you've got. Start where you are. Amen. Look in 2 Kings, the fourth chapter. A certain woman of the wives of the son of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So this woman has died. I mean, her husband has died. Her husband uh, had a debt, and they're going to come and take the sons to be the slaves to work off the debt. They didn't have bankruptcy. In those days, the father, the mom, the family, the adults, they had a, a debt. and They couldn't pay the debt. Come and take your kids and come and work, work them as slaves to pay off your debt. That's what was fixing to happen because this man had died. He was a God-fearing man, a, God, a man that loved the Lord, but he passed away. Now the debtors are coming. Of course mama's scared. It, wouldn't you be? If I left Jackie and now all of a sudden they're going to come and get the boys to take them out, let them be slaves to work off the debt that they had nothing to do with. They didn't run the debt up. They didn't do one single thing to run that debt up. They're just, they're just boys. While they're just little kids running on the playground, now there's a debt. Now they're old enough to work, and they've got to work to work off the father's debt. Think about that for just a moment. You think about it, it should carry you back to Jeremiah 31st chapter when it says that the children's teeth are set on edge because their fathers ate sour grapes. What that means? You're born a sinner. Before you ever sinned, you are born a sinner. That is your identification, sinner. Because you're born into sin. Not because you sinned, but because Adam and Eve, because sin before you were even born. Before you were even born. And somebody's got to pay the debt. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me. What do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a, bar, a jar of oil. That's all I've got. It's just one jar of oil. That's all I've got. It's just one ox code. That is all I've got. It's just one tool, one word, one talent, one gift. It's all I've got. We are not looking at it that way. But an old jar of oil. It's all I've got. It's all I've got. All I've got to offer is just a little of this. I've just got this one ox code. I mean, look at them. They've got so much. And I've just got this one little thing. One little thing killed 600 Philistines. One little thing killed a giant. So Elisha says, 
He says, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all the vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass that the vessels were full, that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. He said to her, there's not another vessel, so the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God and said, go, sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. Man, there's so much in there. There's a whole sermon in there, but I want you to see this woman says, all I've got is just a little bit of oil. And Elisha says, go out and get some vessels. Make sure they're empty. Don't just get a few. Get as many as you can. And we, we talk about ourselves being vessels for the Lord. And they come empty, not to come full. They didn't bring any vessels in there halfway full of uh, vegetable soup and pour some oil on top of them. These were empty vessels. You and I need to be empty vessels willing for the Holy Spirit to fill us up and to use us any way that He sees fit. Just a full surrender life saying, all I've got is a little bit of oil, but use me. Here I am. I told the Lord those exact words years ago in my kitchen. I said, it's not much, but... I'm yours. And the next thing you know, here we are. The vessels. He says, this is enough in these vessels now to pay your debt and live on the rest. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. One little drop of blood would have took care of the sins of the world, but he bled a whole lot more than a drop. See, the father's debt was paid. And I didn't pay it. And you didn't pay it. Jesus came and died on the cross and paid it for you. Amen. Praise the Lord. But I want you to see there is that woman just had a little bit of oil. Now think about human logic, reasoning. Does this even make any sense? Why am I going to go get a bunch of vessels and pour oil in them well, this all that I've got is not even enough to fill one vessel, much less go get a bunch of vessels. Does that even make any sense? Faith is, is, is going to be opposite of human logic and reasoning every time. It's just trusting Him with that one thing that you've got. Amen. You can't steer a parked car. You can't steer a parked anything. I mean, a dirt bike, a bicycle has handlebars on it. You can turn them all you want, but it's not going to go left or right until we get it rolling. You can turn the wheel of a car. It won't go left or right until you get it rolling. It's going to have to be rolling. I, I'm not going to go left or right either until I pick my feet up. I can just stand right here. And we're called to make a difference. So start where you're at. Use what you've got. How did Shamgar do it? How did he go from being a farmer with this a, one tool, how did he go from being a farmer to a judge? Well, Judges, the third chapter, the 10th verse, tells you how the people became judges. And it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. Well, that's how he did it. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David when he slew Goliath. 
The Spirit of the Lord comes upon a lot of people throughout the Old Testament, and you'll see they did some amazing things. They outrun chariots. You'll see all kind of stuff they did. Well, the Spirit of the Lord not has just come upon us, but has been poured out to us, given to us. We have a relationship with Him. He lives on the inside of you, leading you and guiding you every step of the way. He just needs a vessel to fill up. He just needs somebody to trust Him with what He's got and say, Hey, I've just got this one ox go, but I'm ready to surrender and use it for you. Praise the Lord. God took what he had and he used it. Everybody here has an ox goad. Everybody here has one. Some shape, form, or fashion, everybody has one. And I know some people don't understand. They say, well, I'm not really concerned about our nation. You know, what can I do? What can I really do to make a difference? And if you're, like I said earlier in the sermon, if you're depending on the government to do it, mm, that's, that's, where, that's how we've got to where we are. If people don't really think that I make a difference, don't really think that it matters, and I say this often, hopefully Jesus will just come really soon. I'm ready. Right now, today. Come on. That way you don't have to worry about it anymore. Don't have to deal with it anymore. Don't have to be concerned with it anymore. But if he doesn't come and we live here another 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years, you need to be concerned about it. You need to be doing something to make a difference. And start right where you're at, right there in your house. And hearing his voice is very important. In 1 Kings, the ninth chapter, in the 11th verse, And he said, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord. Now he's, he's, uh, he's hiding here in this cave. He says, go out on the mountain, stand before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by. It says, a great strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a still, small voice. And that's how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. That's how God communicates, communicates, communicates with you. It's just a whisper. It's just a still, small voice. Now, we're looking for a hurricane, a tornado, uh, the rocks breaking, busting, earthquakes, wind, fire, all these amazing things. We're looking for a big sack of money to just show up on your front doorstep. You've you got to get to the place where you just listen to the still, small voice. And what happens is we get so busy in, in our fast-paced society, lifestyle that we live, and let me tell you, that is the enemy that wants you to live that fast-paced society, fast-paced lifestyle, because you get so busy and everything gets so loud you don't hear the still small voice. And if you do hear it, you don't have time for it because you're just too busy. I mean, time I get off work, go to the ball field and do all that and come home, home, I mean, where does God even work into, you know, my life? No time for Him. I hope you see that that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to get that busy that you don't have time for your children. You don't have time for your wife. You don't have time for your husband. You don't have time for the Lord. You don't have time to help anybody else because you're spending all your time helping yourself. But we've got to get to the place where we hear his voice. It says, so it was when Elijah heard it 
that he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? What are you doing down here? Why are you in the cave? Why are you hiding? What are you doing here? If you're going to have a if you're going to hear from the Lord, and the Lord's going to say, take your ox code, use that tool, take the gift, take the talent, take the oil, take the rock and your slingshot, you're going to have to hear Him. And in order to hear Him, you're going to have to have a relationship with Him because you're going to have to be in a close proximity to hear His voice. He's not going to scream it out. He's going to shout it out. He's going to whisper it to you. You're going to have to be close. And the only way you're going to get close is through a relationship with Christ, to get into His Word, read His Word. You get to know Him through His Word. Pray. Come to service. And if this is all you're getting is Sunday morning, that's not going to cut it. This is a seven-day-a-week thing. I can't talk to you. Uh, I, can't, I can't hear for you. I'm sure what the Lord puts on my heart. I always try to go in the direction that He leads me to go, but I can't hear God for you. I can't make decisions for you. I can't tell you what you need to do in your life. I can tell you what the Word of God says and that your life needs to line up with the Word and that's about all as far as I can go with it. But you've got to be in close proximity. But this, let me back up to the 13th verse. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Shamgar? What are you doing here, Red? What are you doing here? I call out everybody's name. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? I'm going to tell you, in 1 Corinthians, if we our last scripture, it says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So you get in here in close proximity, talking with the Lord, reading His Word, then all of a sudden your thoughts change. See, the, the, the Word of God says not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your mind's going to be renewed with the Word of God. That's how you'll be transformed. This Word right here will transform you. You need, need not think it's just going to boom overnight thing. It's a journey. It didn't take you overnight to get to that miserable place that you're in. And it won't be overnight that you get out of it. It's a journey because your mind has to be renewed. Your thinking has to change. Right living doesn't produce right thinking, but right thinking will produce right living. Not to be conformed. So you get into the Word, now your thinking's changing. Now all of a sudden you're having different thoughts than you had before. Now all of a sudden you're praying what you're thinking. But if God gave you the thoughts and now you're praying the thoughts that He gave you, now He can't help but answer the prayer because He's the one that gave you the thought to pray. That's how it comes together. It should get you excited. Praise the Lord. 
What are you doing down here? What are you doing hiding in this cave? I mean, you just slit the throats of 500 people and now you're hiding from this one woman in the cave. That's what happened. I mean, women can be scary. Nobody has ever scared me in my entire life as much as my wife. I'll just tell you the truth. And she's just a little thing. She looks sweet. But she scared me before. <laughs> I try to stay, you know, uh, keep myself out of a position where I, don't, I need not be scared. You know, sometimes you get scared to go to sleep. She threatens me often. But what are you doing down there? What are you doing? What are you doing? Man, I think that's awesome that Shamgar, the whole story, went from a farmer to a judge, used this ox go with this point on it to kill 600 people. What are you doing down there? Think about my favorite Rocky movie. Rocky Five, Definitely my favorite. Haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, I probably wouldn't watch it now just because I know it's got some not so great language in it. I try to steer clear of all those things, but I do remember it very well. Rocky's um, old, been beat on so much. And by the way, if you've ever seen it, there is no man that can take a beating like that. This is not going to happen. That's not real life. But anyway, it's a good movie. Rocky's older, and the doctor says, you can't take any more licks of that head of yours. You can't take it. One more lick, it could kill you. So he's too old. He's been banged up and beat up now. He can't, he can't box anymore. Well, there's this up-and-coming up guy named Tommy Gunn. And he was a real boxer, Tommy Marson. Tommy the Machine Gunn was his name. And he really was a heavyweight champion of the world. And I remember I preached on Tommy Gunn one time years ago. And what's crazy is the day I preached on him, he died the same day I preached. And he died of AIDS on the same day. Tommy Gunn runs into Rocky and he says, Rocky, Mr. Balboa, I've been a fan of yours, watched you my whole life growing up. You're, you're, my, you're my favorite. Can I get your autograph? And the next thing you know, he's like, Rocky, train me. I need you to train me. Be my trainer. Come on, train me. And Rocky's like, oh, I don't know. Anyway, you know, I guess he talks to you know, Adrian. And then they uh, decide that this is a way that he can stay in the, in the, in the boxing game because he can fight through Tommy. Basically, he can train him. So he moves him in, takes his son's bedroom. His son wasn't too happy with nothing about that. He's training Tommy, and they're close, they're tight, they're, they're buds. And then Tommy got tired of being under his shadow because everybody was saying, like, you're the little Rocky or you're, you're his robot, you know, things of that nature. So Tommy said he wanted his respect. And uh, he, he, he had him another manager. He quit Rocky, he got him another manager. And the other manager in the movie, in the real life, would really be Don King, because if you look at what Mike Tyson did, he was doing really well until he got under Don King and then went downhill quick. Same thing was happening with Tommy Gunn in this movie. 
So he goes and he finds Rocky and his brother-in-law, Paulie, and they're in a tavern downtown, and Rocky's over there playing the game, and they try to call him out in the street. Tommy says he wants to fight him, and Rocky says, I'm not fighting you, Tommy. You know, I love you, and I'm not fighting you. And Tommy says, uh, he said he wants his respect. Well, he punches old Paulie. He punches old Paulie and just knocks him out, busts him up pretty bad. So Rocky says, hey, won't you hit me like that? The switch flipped. He says, all right. He says, my ring's out in the street. See, it's a big promotional thing. They're trying to get this big fight going, but it backfired on them. So they go out in the street, and Rocky says, you want your respect? Come get it. And he laid about five bombs on old Tommy Gunn and stretched him out. And, man, the movie could have just ended right there. It would have been great. But like always, Tommy Gunn gets up, and he comes up from behind Rocky and hits him and just, uh, just whoops the fire out of him. Just like every Rocky movie. He gets hit in the face, you know, a hundred times. And, Tom, and Rocky's laying there. He's on the ground and he's holding his head. And he's got his hand up like, you know, no more. And all of a sudden he sees himself. He starts seeing some visions. And he sees Apollo Creed who was his friend, and he beat him, and then Apollo Creed ended up dying because the Russian Ivan Drago killed him, and Rocky starts seeing that, and he starts seeing Clubber Lang. He starts seeing all these things. But what's really cool is his old trainer before he died, Mickey, appeared to come back to life because he's standing over Rocky, and you know what he says? He says, what are you doing down there? He says, what are you doing down there, you bum? He says, get up. Because Mickey loves you. Dun 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 Then <laughs> Rocky gets up and just beats down Tommy Gunn. And then the movie's over. That's my favorite part. That's the best part of all of them. But I see that. What are you doing hiding in the cave? What are you doing? What are you doing as a Christian? Are you making any difference? I've given you a slingshot and a rock. What much more do you need? I've given you this vessel of oil. I've given you a notch coat. What are you doing down there? What are you doing down there? I think about Mickey came. He taught him some things. He died. Then he came back to me. He says, what are you doing down there? And I think about somebody else that's a lot greater than Mickey. His name is Jesus. And he came and he died. He rose again. And he's speaking to us this morning and said, hey, what are you doing down there? The Holy Spirit said, what are you doing down there? Use what, I, what I've given you. Start where you're at. Make a difference. Start in your house. So we think about, I'm a man. I'm a man. I used to think a man was working a whole lot, working seven days a week, working when you're sick, working when you're tired, making sure that anybody worked for you couldn't plan a date or any type of uh, outing because you're going to work. That's a man. I bring home the bacon. You want to fight? That's fine too. You think you can take some pain? Let's get in a competition. I'm a man. But see, the plumbing that God gave you doesn't make you a man. Just because they snapped a male on your birth certificate, that doesn't make you a man. That makes you a male. Now there's some people that's had their plumbing removed and decided to become a woman. And they're called the, man, the woman of the year. That doesn't make you a woman, nor does it make you a man. You're, you're still a male because that's what your birth certificate says. 
You know what makes you a man? Knowing who your heavenly father is and acting like him. Acting like him. Leading. And it's going to start in your house. And it's going to start at your job. And it's going to start with your hobbies, out with your friends, hanging out, and using the one thing that God's given you. Use it. I loved racing motorcycles, loved it, loved it, loved it, ate up with it, rode every week, trained, ate right, exercised, everything that goes with it, had the latest and the greatest. I'd have one six months out with the old, in with the new. I'd sit in the basement on it. I'd make motorcycle noises, rock it back on the stand, riding wheelies, ate up with it. I'd just sit there and look at it. Just on my roll-around chair, just look at the thing. Wow. Ready to ride. But anyway, then I surrendered my life to Christ, and all of a sudden I got mad at that motorcycle. I was mad at it. I saw myself taking it out in my backyard, pouring some gas on it, and just burning it on fire because I realized that I was obsessed with it. I was ate up with it. God wasn't in my life. My, my, that void was filled with this stupid motorcycle. So I really had plans on burning the thing. Picked it up, you know, got a little angry. They, they, they're, they're a little too heavy to be picking up. I just picked it up, and I remember I just threw it up against a tree in my backyard. And just let it lay there for several days in the backyard. I don't care about it no more. And I remember as plain as day, the Lord spoke to me and said, I never told you to burn it, because I was telling him, I'm going to burn it for you. I never told you to burn it. Hmm. Next thing you know, I'm going to fast forward this for the sake of time. We started racing on Saturdays, and we used motorcycles to reach hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. There's people in this room that wouldn't be here if we hadn't used a motorcycle to go out and reach them. In other words, a God will use anything. He don't mind you owning it as long as it don't own you. He can use a motorcycle. He can use a basketball. He can use a baseball. He can use a table saw. He can use some blinds. He can use some roofing. He can use some wood. He can use somebody getting arrested and tell them right before you throw them in the cell how much God loves them, how much God loves you. He's got something better for you, son, something a whole lot better for you. See, at one time in my life, I lost every bit of dollar, penny, I had, and I look back on it, I am so thankful. There's some people that got thrown in jail, and I can tell you they're thankful for it now because that's when their life changed. And I say I lost that money. The reason I'm thankful for it is because that's when life changed for me. All that stuff owned me. I didn't own it. Praise the Lord. So the Holy Spirit's just saying to us this morning, what are you doing in there? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing in the gutter, Rocky? Jesus loves you. And that's where Rocky found his strength. Oh, found out old Mickey loved him. Mickey loves you. Dun, 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 dun. So a lot of people go through life, they don't know God loves them. They've never even experienced love. They've never had the love of a mother or a father. All these things, fussing and fighting and hollering and cussing and drinking and smoking and just wild living. Nobody's ever even cared for them or told them they loved them. 
I mean, somebody knows, finds out somebody cares about you or loves you. See, that's something a lot of people take for granted. I take it for granted because I had family that loved me. And my boys and my daughter, they know I love them because I tell them, my wife, we both tell them, they know we love them. If they don't know, there's no way they can't know because I tell them. We tell them. We love them. You know how many people have grown up and never even heard it? Never even heard mom or dad say I love you one time ever? Never had a hug? One of my good friends, I haven't talked to him in a while, one of the toughest, roughest old dudes I know. Me and him were sitting in the airport together on the way home from a hunting trip. He answered the phone. He said, love you too. And he hung up, broke down, bawling, crying. I thought somebody died. And I was like, dude, what's wrong? Are you okay? He goes, yeah. He, he got it all dried up. And I said, well, what's wrong? He goes, my mom told me she loved me. <laughs> Never heard it his whole life. His mom told him she loved him. Some people just need to know this, you, you can be that person to let somebody know, hey, God loves you. God loves you. And I love you. What can I do to help you? Use, use what you got. Start where you are. Hey Amen. Paul is wearing a shirt that says love. That's pretty fitting. Love. That's what's going to change the world. That's what's going to make a difference. Love never fails. That's what my grandma has always told me. I know people, somebody that did her really wrong one time and I was mad. Is a woman. If it hadn't been a woman, I'd punch them in the mouth. I thought about punching her in the mouth anyway. Seriously. And I told my grandma about it. Because my grandma was waiting on this person hand and foot, doing all this stuff for them. And the person did this, and I was mad. And I told her what they did. And she said, well, honey, we just got to love them. I don't want to love them. <laughs> but granny's right. Just gotta love them. Amen. Taking an ox goat and killing a bunch of people don't sound very loving, does it? <laughs> they did a lot of killing in the Old Testament. There's a lot of bloodshed. I was reading this morning. Wow. They said they went and fought and they killed 150,000. They said, Lord, what do we do? He said, fight them again. They killed another couple hundred thousand. Lord, what do we do? Yeah, go fight them again. And then this day, they end up killing their 100, 200, 300,000, and Israel won. I'm like, wow, that's a lot, of, a lot of killing. Can you imagine digging all those graves by hand? Whew. Anyway, that's a good stopping point. Amen. Preached shorter last week. One of my good buddies said that was perfect. He said, let's keep that momentum. Let's keep the short sermons. Hmm. We're supposed to be difference makers. Difference makers. Men, spiritual leaders. You got to give your wife something to follow. She can't follow a parked car. She should never have to prod you to get out of the bed. You should be up ready to go. Loading the family up. Let's go. Let's get there. I'm leading this thing. You ain't got a problem with me to get out of the bed. What you want for breakfast? One out of every four homes, so 25%, doesn't have, or only one does have a, a father figure. I think Mississippi is the lowest on the, 
the list of the absolute fathers. Alabama's third of kids being raised with no father in the home or not even knowing who the father is. You talking about making a difference in this world? That'll do it. If you put a legitimate Christian father who loves the Lord and he's leading in the home, every home, you'll solve the world's problems. And I'm not in charge of nobody's home but mine. And the only person in charge of your home is you. So what are you doing down there? What are you doing down there? What are you doing in that cave? Amen. Let's pray. First and foremost, is anybody in this house, the sound of my voice right here that says, I've never accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, and today's my day. If that's you, I just need to see you. Open your eyes, raise your hand so I know you're here. All right. That's good news. That's good news. Let's just get together. Repeat after me. Say, Father, your word says that if I believe in my heart, confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that I'll be saved. And this morning, I believe and I confess that you're my King and you're my Lord. And I surrender my life to you. Amen. Amen. Now for everybody else in here, we're all in different places in life. This message meant different things to different people. They impacted in different ways. So Lord, we just want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that you for loving us that you don't leave us in the ditch, you don't leave us in the cave, but you remind us that you got up and you got out of the grave so that we can get up and get out of our circumstances, that we can become the men and the women, the leaders that you've called us to be, that you've given us your Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us every step of the way so that we can be a difference maker. Father, we just thank you that we're leaving out today better than we came in. Starting right here, right now, we're going to be a difference maker. Men that aren't spiritual leaders stepping up to the plate saying, today's the day. I've been laying in the gutter too long. I've been hiding in the cave too long. But I hear the voice this morning. I hear the whisper. And I'm coming out. I'm getting up. I'm leading. I'm going to become the man, the father, the husband that I've been called to be. I'm not going to do it on my own. It's not my might, not my strength. The Spirit is going to strengthen me, empower me to lead my family, to live a life of righteousness, to use what God's given me for His glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen and amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.
Well, y'all enjoy the rest of your day. I just want to remind you we have service at 6.30 on Wednesday. God bless you.